Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Good to be back after being ill. Um, thanks to Dell for really filling in and preaching for me uh, while, um, while I was sick. Uh, he did so on very short notice the first Sunday. And thanks to our great staff who um, really pitched in and, and just helped everything go so well. In fact, they told me that um, uh, without me, things seemed to really run really uh, much smoother, uh, which was a little disconcerting. I, I'm not sure what they meant by that. And thank you for your prayers um, you know, while I've been sick. I'm not all the way back, uh, but I'm getting there. So um, this year, we're, we want to make this a year of hope because frankly, I think our world needs some hope. Don't you? We, we need some hope. All you have to do is watch the news and know that. And so uh, we've set as our theme verse for the year, Romans 15, 13. And it really is a verse I want to encourage you to memorize. And let's read it again together as a step toward memorization. So if you don't mind, let's join and, and read this together. But I want you to read it like it really is, uh, you know, 11:15 in the morning and you are awake, okay? So let's read it like that. Here we go. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, listen again to what this verse teaches us. It teaches us that, first of all, our God is a God of hope. He is not a God of despair. But it also teaches us that hope is a byproduct. In other words, if I get up this morning and say, I'm going to have a hopeful day, am I really going to be able to pull that off just by will? Probably not. What I need to do is find the things that will cause hope to emerge from my life. And so what this verse says is the God of hope is going to fill me with all joy and peace. Those are two ingredients that are going to result in hope. In other words, if I have joy and hope in my life as I trust in God, hope is going to come. Now, if we focus on Jesus, this is going to accelerate the hopeful process. And that's why we're doing this series called Mindset. How we think matters because how you think will then influence your choices. Everybody follow this line. And as you make choices about what not to do and what not to think and what to think and what to do, you're going to be filled with hope. So Dell talked in the first week about focusing on Jesus. Last week he talked about how we need to get rid of some thoughts, rid of some things. And today we're going to focus on outfit. Now when we talk about outfit Guys, I realize for most of us, this is not a positive word because we associate it with our wives going in to the closet, trying on three or four different outfits, coming out after trying on each one and saying to us, does this make me look fat? And there is only one answer to that question, and the answer is no. No, and even though you may be lying, it's okay. God understands, right? But let me tell you guys, we do outfit ourselves. And let me tell you how I know this. I've seen your bass boats. I mean, you are outfitted. You have got bait and tackle in there for every possible situation. You have got bait for certain conditions. When the wind is up, when the, sea, when the waves are calm, you have got tackle in there. You've got extra rods. And some of you could open a tackle shop out of your bass boat. Your bass boat is outfitted because you 
are ready to fish. Here's the big question of the day. Is your mind outfitted for hope? Is your mind outfitted for hope? I want you to think about this. Because it's obvious to me, if we are not setting our mind in the right direction, hope isn't going to happen. And we could all use more hope in our lives. So we're exploring this passage. And again, it's one of Paul's deep, deep passages. Every word is packed with so much meaning in Colossians 3, 12 through 14. I hope you'll follow along as we go through this phrase by phrase. Paul opens up and he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Now, Paul tells us three things. Number one, God chooses us. People in the Bible who are chosen by God are not chosen because they are special or worthy or they deserve it. People in the Bible are chosen because God simply decides to choose them. Isn't that amazing? That's the kind of God we worship. And because they are chosen, they have a purpose. They are holy. They're set apart. We believe that everybody has a purpose. God did not make you to be an accident. You are not some random product of evolution. You were designed for a purpose. And you are dearly loved, which means you are valued. Because what we choose is valued. Ken Kingston, a Christian comedian, tells about taking his three boys to Disney World. And they go into that shop at Disney. If you've ever been to Disney, you've been in the shop, right? Where they have all the stuffed animals. You've been in that store? And so his, his middle son is sort of the rough and tumble boy. He's five years old. And the deal is the boys can pick out any of the stuffed animals they want. And Ken is just absolutely certain that his rough and tumble boy, Cody, is going to pick out Mufasa or Simba, you know, or at least Tigger. Do you know there is one feminine Disney cat in all the Disney stories there's one feminine Disney cat Duchess the cat from the Aristocats some of you are going I've never heard of the Aristocats that's because you were not around during the golden age of Disney animation okay the Aristocats there's this cat named Duchess and she spoils so here's the rough and tumble four or five year old boy Cody and he wants Duchess and, and Ken says no son don't you want Mufasa or Simba don't you want, don't you want uh, Tigger? No, no, I want Duchess. And so they got Duchess. You know that, that little boy slept with Duchess every night till he was 12 years old. You know why? Because whatever is chosen is valued. Now here's the thing I want you to understand. God looks at you and I wish I had time to go through and call each of you individually by name. God looks at you and says, I'm choosing you. I have a purpose for you. You are valued. You are loved. You are loved more than you could possibly ever know. There is not a sin of yours I cannot forgive. There is not a shame or a wound of yours I cannot remove. You are loved. So when I was sick, my kids kindly asked, Dad, what can we do? 
Now they all live away. But I did text my son and my daughter-in-law back and said, send me as many pictures of my grandson as you can. And so they were real great about it. They would send me three or four pictures every day. And every time I was sick and throwing up and other stuff you don't want to hear about. And, but every time I looked at a picture of my grandson, you think I felt better or worse? I, let me tell you something. When God looks at you, he gets that same feeling. Do you know that? See, if your image of God is that he just looks at you with his arms crossed and he's just, oh, you, you missed it. Now, does his heart break when you do wrong? Of course it does. But our God profoundly loves you. Now, here's why that's so important when we're talking about hope. The stronger your identity, the stronger your hope. The more secure your identity, the stronger your hope. If you know that God loves you, it does not matter. The tragedies can come, bad times can come, you can struggle with sins, you can struggle with problems, but you are secure that your identity is someone who's deeply loved by our Heavenly Father. Now that sets the basis now for how we can think. And this is where Paul is going to go next. Okay, so the basis is we are profoundly loved if we have accepted Jesus Christ, accepted his love, and now Paul says, clothe yourselves. This is intentional. This is where we get the idea of outfit. Outfit yourselves with these things. And he's going to describe a series of behaviors that we can choose. And if we choose these behaviors, if we choose to think in these directions, hope will come. Hope is the byproduct. So use this as a checklist. See how you're doing. Clothe yourself, outfit yourself, first of all, with compassion. Now, literally, in, in Greek, it says with a heart of compassion. The heart, you'll remember, is where you make decisions. It's where you, you decide something. So you decide, I am going to be a compassionate person, and you can do this. Every one of you can decide, I will have compassion. Now, what, what is compassion? Compassion, very simply, is wanting good for other people. It is taking the focus off of yourself, and it is saying, I want good for you. I want there to be good in your life. The reason I think a lot of us have trouble in relationships is we want things to be fair. So we're always measuring. We're always saying, hey, is this fair? Hey, you won the last fight, it's my turn to win one. Do you think that that will produce a loving relationship? No, absolutely not. Compassion will, because compassion says, wait, I'm gonna set myself aside. Yes, I, I will get to me, but I'm gonna set myself aside and I'm gonna actually think about what is good for you. Clothe yourselves with compassion. Clothe yourselves also with kindness. Now, kindness very simply is a helpful attitude. It is approaching the people in your life saying, I want to see how I can do something for you, not get something from you. I want to help you. Next time you go to the store, just walk in and say, God, help me be kind. Help me be helpful. 
you'll approach your cashier with a different attitude. Now, I know some of you go to Walmart and they don't have cashiers anymore, but it'll help you be more understanding of the people you're waiting in line with. Paul says, not only clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, clothe yourselves with humility. Now, humility is something that trips us up. Humility is not thinking that you are lower than than a doormat. Humility is thinking rightly about yourself. You're not thinking too high of yourself or too low of yourself. And most of us have a place where we think too much of ourselves. We think we can do anything. Guys, we are bad at this. I don't need any help to lift this, right? That's thinking too highly of yourself, right? Or you think too lowly of yourself. You think, well, I just can't do anything. You've got to think correctly about yourself. So you're humble. You're asking God, show me who I am. Show me what I'm good at. Show me what I really need help with. Clothe yourself with humility. Clothe yourself with gentleness. Some of your translations here will use the word meek. Not a real popular word in our time. To be meek means that you're willing to submit. Now that doesn't mean that you just let everybody else run your life. What it means is you're submitting to your heavenly father who you know wants good for you. Now you see how this starts to interlock? If you know God wants good for you, if you know God actually is for you, that God has compassion, he has chosen you, then then you can submit to him because you can trust that whatever he asks you to do is going to be in your best interest. See, we get the idea, too many of us, at least I grew up with this idea, that, that God is going to ask me to give up something that's really good, and so God is kind of mean. He's going to take away the good stuff. No. Whatever God wants to take away from you is to make room for what is better for you. Do you trust it? Clothe yourself with gentleness. Clothe yourself with patience. To be patient is to think before you react. To not be controlled by your insecurities. When you get triggered, you actually pause before you speak. Now, if you are married, have you ever spoken something you wish you could take back? You need patience, don't you? Absolutely. Patience is that ability to pause and say, what's really going on here? What's the real issue? Before you get angry at the news, before you post something on social media, how about pausing and saying, hey, let me be patient. What's really happening here? Clothe yourself with patience. Some of you are still saying, okay, now how's this gonna help me have hope? Don't you see? Don't you see, as you start offloading some of these things where you're just carrying the, the feeling that God is against you or, or you're, you're, you're impatient with people or, or, or you're just mean, don't you see that that's not helping you be hopeful? Paul's not done. He goes on, he says, bear with each other. It means endure. Relationships require perseverance. Perseverance. 
Hey, and by now you're noticing all of the things that, that Paul is laying out before us have to do with relationships, don't they? Every one of these. You know why? Because if you have toxic relationships, if you have negative relationships in your life, it's pretty hard to be hopeful, isn't it? And you can't control other people, but you can control your side of the relationship. That's why Paul's walking us through this. So bear with one another. Now, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Every one of you is flawed. You know this, right? Okay, I got a couple of kids going, I'm not flawed. There's a flaw. You're flawed. You're married to a flawed person. Your kids are flawed. Your friends are flawed. In fact, would you just turn to somebody real close to you right now? You don't have to know them. Just turn to them real quick. Point your, you enjoy this. Turn to someone, point your finger at them, say, you're flawed. Okay, there's a couple of couples that are afraid to do this, and I get that, okay. The biblical word for this is sinner. We're all sinners. To bear with one another means that we start with the assumption that there is something wrong with all of us, and we're going to be patient with each other. We are going to accept that nobody's perfect. Uh, my mentor, Dick Lincoln, used to tell me, before you hire anybody on staff, find out what's wrong with them and decide if you can live with it. And that's really great advice before you get married. Find out what's wrong with a person. Decide if you can live with it. Did you hear about the bride who came back from her honeymoon and she was in tears and she went to her mom and she said, oh, mama, it was horrible. I thought he was such a nice boy. Her mother said, what happened? She said, we were on our honeymoon. He started using this terrible language. Well, honey, what, 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 what kind of language? It was awful. He was using these terrible four-letter words. My gosh, darling, what did he say? He, Mama, he said words, four-letter words like cook, <laughs> dust, iron. Know what's wrong with somebody before you marry them, okay? So, so bear with one another. Paul goes on and he says, and forgive one another. If any of, one, any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, I love the word forgiveness. It means, also can mean grace. So in a way, Paul is saying grace people. What would happen if you approached the relationships in your life and you decided instead of judging people, you would grace people? I mean, just think about it. You're going to run into flawed people every day, right? And what happens if you just say, okay, I'm going to have grace today. I'm going to choose to forgive someone of their mistakes. Now you say, well, I have to hold people accountable at work, Clay. How do I do that? You can hold people accountable and you can do it from a gracious standpoint. You can not just berate them, you can actually pause, slow down, help them see the error of their ways, see the right way to do things. To forgive means that you are offloading the burden of being perfect. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. 
And you say, well, how do I do this? Well, first thing you have to do is actually admit that you're mad at somebody. You have to admit that you hold a grudge. And we in the South have a hard time. If you're watching online and you're in another part of the world, you may not understand this, but in the southern part of the United States, most of us were taught you can't hate and you can't hold a grudge. And so you hear people say in the South things like, I'm not bitter. I just have a long memory. Okay, that's called passive aggression. Okay, it's actually unhealthy. So own that you actually feel this way and then pray to God to help you let go and heal the hurt. God can heal those hurts. And then wish the other person good. That's how you forgive. Now, I can't go on without pausing and saying, we call ourselves as a church a place of grace. And I think this is what it means. It means we're going to forgive each other. We're not going to expect perfection. We're not going to be that church that, pay, that just chases every little petty thing that people do, do wrong. And we're not going to be the kind of church where, where we're just going to try to hold people to some ridiculous standard of perfection because nobody's perfect. I hope you will forgive me when I am not perfect. Affirming nods or amens would have been really good there. But okay, I get it. We're working on it. But I want you to know I'm going to forgive you for not being perfect. And we're going to forgive each other for not being perfect, right? Because nobody's perfect. Everybody needs grace. Everybody needs forgiveness. And how do we expect people to find the forgiveness of Jesus if we're not willing to forgive them? Now let me just preach just a little more in this direction. Too often the message that churches send is this, clean up your life, then you can come and be forgiven. Do you hear how ridiculous that is? That's not what Jesus ever said. Jesus did say repent, which means turn in a different direction. And when you turn toward Jesus, the first thing you're going to hear is I forgive you. Then you can expect people to start changing. It's the forgiveness first. The change comes second. Let's not lose sight of that. Now, one more thing Paul says in verse 14, real important. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Outfit yourself with love. Uh, think of this as plywood. You know what plywood is? They, they, they take a log and they unroll thin strips. And then they take glue and they glue that together. Love is the glue that binds compassion, kindness, humility, patience all together. And that gives you a platform that's strong enough now that you can live in hope. Now you, you may be saying, okay, help me, help me again. Remember, hope is a byproduct. If you will make the decision to have compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love, you think you would have more hope. If your mindset was outfitted with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love, would you be more hopeful? So what's stopping you? A couple of things. First thing, I think, is we do not live in a world that is compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, forgiving, or loving. That's not the world we live in. 
And far too many of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, we're actually living by the values of this world, of our culture, instead of living by the values of Jesus. The second thing is I think we get overwhelmed. We say, okay, I've got to remember all of this and I've got to do it all the time every day. No, we've got to start at a level where we can get success. Small successes are gonna breed greater successes. So I wanna give you two simple steps that will help you with this, okay? Might wanna write these down. First one, fill your mind with love. Fill your mind with love. Now, I do not mean spend all day watching Hallmark movies, okay? That's not what I mean. Rather, you've got to actually carve out some time in your day to think about the love that God has for you and to think about how much he treasures you. We're not very good at this. Some people call it meditation. Some people call it prayer. I call it being aware of God's love. Now, we're all different, okay? Some of you, if I tell you to sit still and think about God's love, you're going to last about five seconds, right? It's because God wired us all different. Some of you, you're going to experience God's love best when you're outside. When you're fishing, you're in that world, the waves are, you know, the, the, the water's calm, and, and you just feel a peace, you're feeling God's love. Put yourself in that environment. Now, some of you, it, it's on a deer stand, same thing, you're in that environment, you're feeling God's love. For me, I'm out feeding my cows, I see the sun going down behind the trees, and it's just this wonderful feeling of God is good, look at the beauty he has created, look how much he loves me, look how he has blessed me. Thanks be to God, I feel God's love when I feed my cows. You need to put yourself in that environment. Some of you, you're not outdoor people. I get that. So you're wired differently. Maybe the way that you really sense God's love is singing. That's why worship means so much to you. So sing. Most of us actually do have some music that really resonates with us. And there's some songs that really put us in mind of God. You know, great is our God. I mean, that's, you know, that's just such a great song we just sang. For me, one of the songs that really puts me in mind of God's love is an old hymn called Love Lifted Me. Love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help, love lifted me. Because it takes me back to my childhood, I'm about five years old, and it's Sunday night. We used to have church on Sunday night in those days. And uh, I was sit between my Aunt Faye and Mama Cat. Now, Mama Cat was not my grandmother, and she was not my aunt. Uh, She actually was no blood kin, but she was family, because we are Southern, if you understand that. Okay. And they were so smart because we, they would bring candy. And, and I, they say, if you'll sit quiet, I'll give you candy. And I associated from a very early age, Jesus sugar, right? It was a powerful motivator. But to this day, when I hear love lifted me, I can remember the security of seeing that song standing between Aunt Faye and Mama Cat and knowing I'm profoundly loved. Now, some of you need to sing. You need to sing out. Now, some of you need to sing out when you're by yourself, right? But you need to sing. Okay, so not everybody's wired to sing. You're going, please don't make me sing. Okay, I get that. Some of you, it's going to be worship. It's going to be something that, that we do not just here, here, coming here or watching online, that's important, but it's private worship. It's actually 
prayer. And in prayer, you're going to pause and say, God, do you, do you have anything to say to me today? And God's actually going to speak to you. And not probably in an audible voice, but you're going to feel an impression on your heart. Or you're going to read scripture and something's going to stand out to you. This is one of the reasons it's important for you to know scripture, study scripture, memorize scripture. I've memorized two verses uh, this year uh, that really have helped me. One is uh, Nehemiah, 5, uh, Nehemiah 8.10, which, is, uh, which says, uh, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Boy, and that's really important. After I watch the news, I quote that verse to myself. Do not grieve, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The other verse that's really meant a lot to me is John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you do I give. Do not let your hearts be troubled and neither be afraid. Some nights I just pray that verse over and over and over when I have trouble going to sleep. It's just reminding me I have the peace of Jesus because I'm profoundly loved. You need to have some verses like that in your toolkit. Now those are the ones that mean a lot to me. You can use them too. You have to send me a nickel for every time you use them, but you can use them too. No, of course not. You can use them too. Let me tell you, some of, the, some of you are really going to find the love of God when you serve people. When you serve people. I, I, we do a, a special needs banquet every year for special needs adults at Christmas time, and, and people always tell me the same thing. When they come and serve, they say, you know, I, I just get so much more out of this than I give. It's just, I feel so blessed. I feel the love of Jesus when I think about these, these special needs folks. Isn't that great? Now, maybe you're not wired that way, and that's okay. But one of these, or maybe some other, will help you fill your mind with the love of Jesus Christ. But here's what I know. Many of you right now are saying, well, I just don't know if I have time for that. How many of you have time to breathe? Brush your teeth? Take a bath? then don't you think you ought to make time to fill your mind with love? It's that important. Now, I told you two things. First, fill your mind with love, which means you may have to actually invoke Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God, be still. Put yourself in that position. But here's the second thing. Love one person in one way. See, you hear a sermon like this, you get overwhelmed because you start thinking about all the people that maybe God wants you to love and some things that are going on in your life and you start thinking about these different relationships and, and the instructions here and you just, you can get flooded. So, okay, we're gonna make this easy. This week, I want you to make it your goal to think about one person you need to love and one way you can love them. Let me give you some examples. Let's say there's someone you have a grudge against, you're holding a grudge against. Maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's, Maybe it's um, you know, somebody you work with. Maybe it's a neighbor. Okay, so, so what, how could you love that person you hold a grudge against? How about forgive them? Forgive them. You see what you're doing when you're forgiving? You're letting it go. You're saying, you know, I'm, I'm not going to carry this anymore. I'm going to forgive them. It, it may be a process, right? Maybe that hurt is so deep. But don't you think that's getting in the way of you having a hopeful life? All right, let me give you another example. If you've got a, a, a kid, child, who's between 
ages of 13 and 18. Okay? You need to love them with patience. I just guarantee this. Because let me tell you, kids between 13 and 18, they are in their rebellious stage of life. Right? Now, I said this at the first service, and there's a kid I know, I've known him since he was born. He was 17, and he, he, every time I said, kids this age are rebellious, he was going, yes. Okay, see, that's rebellion. <laughs> hey, it's normal. I had a woman not too long ago come in the next step room, and she was, she was crying. She said, my 14-year-old won't do anything I tell her to do. I tell, I'm going to tell you good news about your daughter. She's normal. So to be patient means that you think about what war do I want, want to win, not what battle do, am I going to fight? You've got to think about how you were at 14. Understand them. And by the way, if your kids aren't that age yet, you need to prepare. Because it's coming. It's coming. And what you need to do is practice patience now. It'll help you. It's hard to learn patience in the middle of a crisis. So choose patience. Right, let me give you another example of this. Let's say, let's say your boss is a jerk. I'm not going to ask if anybody has a boss that's a jerk because your boss may be in the room. But let's say your boss is a jerk. What do you need to do? How do you need to love your boss? Well, certainly you need to pray for patience and be patient with him, and certainly you need to forgive him. Can I also suggest you need to be gentle with him? You need to submit. You need to actually say, hey, I, I, I'm going to choose to submit to my boss. I'm not going to let him control my life, but the best I can, I'm going to do what my boss wants me to do. I'm going to submit. And you're saying, boy, I, you don't know how big a jerk my boss is. Oh, I, I've, I've run into jerks before, okay? But wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it lead you to a more hopeful life if you were not just eat up with your boss and how much of a jerk he is? And instead, you just were secure in your identity in Jesus Christ and know that he has you and know that you're going to do your job and you're going to submit to your boss. Now, I could go on and on and on, but you get the picture, right? There's one person, at least in your life this week, one person that God wants you to love in one particular way. So who's that one person? You might need to write down a name. Who do you need to love in one way? And, and what is one thing today that you can do to fill your mind with love? Just one thing today. Some of you are about to go out to eat, and you say, you know, one thing I can do today that's loving is I can be patient with my waitress. Hmm. Yeah, you can be kind to your waitress. And for heaven's sakes, don't be that crazy person who doesn't write a tip down, but instead writes, Jesus loves you, and that ought to be a tip enough. Don't be that person, please. Or if you do, don't let anybody know you go to Alice Drive. 
You know, some of you are probably like me. I'm, I'm, I'm not going out to eat today. I'm going to go home and go to bed because uh, it's cold and I'm, I need a nap. So, but I tell you what I'm going to do before I go to sleep. I'm going to say to myself, Romans 15, 13, may the God of all hope, may the God of hope give you all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to remember that, that my hope is because my God's given me joy and peace. Now, hey, you're not a believer. You've listened to all of this. I think you would at least agree, right? A hopeful life is better than a non-hopeful life. And you can even see choosing these behaviors. It makes sense. But let me go back to what I originally said. The best way to do this is to make sure you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That you have put your trust in him, you've asked him to forgive your sins. And you've decided to follow him. And if you haven't done that, I pray that today will be the day you'll take that next step of faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we're able to come together to share, to, to be able to understand your word. And I do pray, God, that you will show us how to fill ourselves with your love and that you will show us that one person we need to love in one way today. And Father, for the person who, who does not know Jesus, I pray that today they would accept him as Savior and Lord. God, show us how to live these lives of hope that we so desperately need. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.